I'm Adrienne Stein, and today we're having a conversation I frankly wish we didn't need to have, however, recently found out just how important it is. We had an unimaginable tragedy in Maine. A gunman shot and killed 18 people and then just took off. There was a manhunt for days. And with that, schools all across the state were canceled to keep people home. While a mass shooting wouldn't be something I would probably ever consider talking to at least my youngest about, avoiding it entirely, it just wasn't possible given that I'm sitting across the breakfast table with my 5, 11, and 16-year-olds who are all wondering why they don't have school that day. There were three very different messages that needed to happen. I wasn't really prepared. I did the best I could, kind of bumbling my way through it. But whether it is this tragedy or something you're dealing with in your home or your community, wherever you are, how do you have age-appropriate conversations with your kids in scary or tragic situations? What's too much information? What's not enough? So we tapped psychiatrist Dr. Jeffrey Barkin, who is also the host of a radio show called A Healthy Conversation, to help us out with this. And at the end, how we can also check in with and help ourselves in these situations. Let's listen. Dr. Barkin, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this conversation about age-appropriate conversations we should be having with our kids when it comes to tragedy. And I, I think that just jumping right in, one of the most difficult things for parents, you know, maybe speaking for myself here, is that so few of us, if any, have a learning experience to draw from when it comes to this. We did not experience these things while we were growing up. There were fire drills. There were earthquake drills. Maybe there was like, you know, an uncomfortable conversation about the birds and the bees or something like that. But uh, here's what to do if a gunman comes into your school. So I guess let's start with just some reassurance for parents right now that this is new for all of us. And there is not necessarily a, a perfect way to handle these conversations and, and how you approach this with, with your children. Yeah, let's delve into that because we're all very, very rattled. We're all very shaken up. That's completely normal. Yet our brains can play tricks on us and they can make us feel much more fearful than we need to be. I have a five-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 16-year-old. And the messaging to these groups are very, very different. So Dr. Barkin, I want to talk about three groups. And I kind of see it as pre-K to early elementary, sort of up to six or seven years old. Then looking at late elementary to early middle, where these kids are kind of figuring out how the world works and their friends are becoming much more important to them. And then high schoolers, where you know, frankly, they probably heard about it before I even had a chance to talk about it because they've seen it from, you know, a text message or a TikTok or whatever it might be. So let's first start with pre-K to early elementary. How is a parent, do you approach a, a difficult conversation a, about tragedy with a, a, a youngster like that? The first thing that I like to do is listen to what the child is saying, regardless of age, because kids are extremely intuitive and us adults believe that we know what they're thinking, but we have no clue what they're thinking. So the first thing is to listen to them and get a sense of where they're at. It's common for very young kids to have very morbid fascinations with death. 
and to be fixated on gruesome details. So if you hear that from your, your kids, don't freak out. That's normal. And that's a way of trying to make sense of that. And that can happen even in young kids. I think that for all kids and really all adults, for all of us, I mean, we share this in common. We are reeling. Like the vibe here today as we're recording this is fear. Stores are closed. Schools are closed. Everybody feels unsafe. Yet the reality of the situation is if you went out right now on the beach or took a walk on a gorgeous day, the likelihood that you're going to be harmed is really low. So rule number one in, in processing this with your kids, with yourself, is to stay calm and to soothe them and to get them to realize that they're safe, that they really are likely safe. Yep. Bad things can happen. But in the aftermath, the immediate aftermath of a tragedy such as we've experienced, believe it or not, the more you get into it, the more you debrief a critical event, the more damage that you could do, the more scary it can become, the more fearful and panicky fantasies can arise. So rather than ask pointed, explicit questions to kids, the first thing is to provide a sense of safety, hugging, listening and real soothing. And that is across the entire span. And also not to freak out as a parent if your kids ask you things that are gruesome or seem inappropriate to you. So for young kids, though, I, I would imagine it, limited details as you create that sort of safety net that you're talking about. As limited as possible, as few details as possible. That Everybody is, is okay. Some people have been hurt or killed. We don't know a lot now, but honey, we're safe. We have each other. And the focus on being together and having each other, and as a parent, doing the thing that us parents should be doing best, which is to soothe and calm our kids. That's where our heads have to be. We don't have to be psychoanalysts. We don't have to be forensic experts trying to figure out what was on the mind of this shooter, this terrible killer. We just need to be present and psychologically available for, for our kids and tolerate the questions that they have, which are going to change over time. People are just freaked out in the immediate aftermath. And what parents will find is that over time and the hours, days, and weeks ahead, that everybody's kids will have different ideas and that they'll express those ideas. So as parents, we have to be willing to meet our kids where they are and discuss what's on their mind. I think it's important too, when it does come to kids that are a little bit older, what I'm finding is, is that my 11-year-old, for example, is much more aware now. And I worry so much that what I'm going to share is going to be too much. Or if I don't share enough, is that sort of breaking trust when he finds out you know, what it may actually be. So sort of threading the needle, if you will, on, on figuring out for those late elementary, early middle school kids when they're figuring out the way the world works, what's the balance for the right amount of information for them? Every kid is different. And some middle and high school children are more mature than others. So you know your kids. And you have to read the nonverbal signals when you're speaking with your kids. So if they get fidgety, if they begin to look away, if they begin to look agitated as you're talking about these sorts of things, 
you really want to back away because you really don't want to increase the fear response just yet. In my community, the psychiatric community, we're very aware of patients that have anxiety disorders or other traumas that can be triggered because we know that traumatic events readily trigger people who have experienced prior traumas. So, and I realize this may be a very special case, although sadly not, is that a lot of our, our kids have experienced past traumas. So we also have to be mindful from what they take in in the news or what they may experience in their personal lives, whether it be from poverty or abuse issues, that the events that our kids take in really will re-trigger them. And as parents, the most important thing is to provide a, a sense of cushioning so that the re-triggering, should it occur in, in kids who are more vulnerable, for example, or adults, we can be particularly protective. I've also found that uh, allowing space for the conversation to come up again, because sometimes I have the conversation, obviously, we have this very recent situation where we had a conversation in the morning, kind of got nothing, you know, it was very, and then went back to it, like just checking in, how you doing, and still didn't really get much from him. And then as everybody's going to sleep, suddenly he had a lot of questions. And there were sometimes even just simple questions like, did we lock the door? Do they, do you think police have already gotten him? That kind of thing. So just because it doesn't feel like maybe whatever it is you're saying is sinking in right away, doesn't mean they're not processing it and just allowing that space for them to come back to you. Exactly. We have to allow that there's repetition and there's time and that people will take time to come to a thought, to come to a specific cognition or belief. And we have to, as parents, be prepared to answer that. That's the most effective thing to do. Another thing that's extremely helpful is to empower older kids. And what I mean by that is since your son, your 11-year-old is asking you really good questions, should we lock the door? The door is locked. These are things that we should all be doing. So coming up with a family safety plan, the act of empowering our kids and ourselves to make things safe at home, the doors are locked, the cars are locked, whatever the personal circumstances of the house are secure, allows us to do something. And the act of doing something reduces anxiety. We feel empowered rather than feel passive and rather than feel like potential victims. What's going to happen? What's the plan? Hope is not a plan. A plan is a plan. And when we have plans, we don't have to feel so anxious. A good plan includes how to get away from danger, how to stay in touch, but really where people need to go and get to. So all of the things that your 11-year-old is suggesting and asking are really, really helpful, and, and he should be commended. Let's then talk also about teenagers, high school kids who, um, you know, sometimes are receptive to conversations with parents and sometimes are not. But then also just, frankly, they know a, a lot. My daughter yesterday, timing-wise, the day after the, the shooting, came down and already knew she didn't have school and the reason why before I even had the conversation. So by the time they're in high school, are we just having frank conversations with our kids about what it is that has happened, reassuring them that they are safe. And, you know, the likelihood of something happening in our home is very rare. But what, what does that conversation look like with teenagers or young adults? 
Yes, we're going to learn from our high schoolers because they're going to have access to the facts likely sooner than we will. So that's when the roles change a little bit, where rather than give information as we may to a middle school or a preschool aged child with a high schooler, they're more like a peer. You're having a discussion about what happened. So treating them like an adult, being appreciative of what you're learning, being open and honest, and most importantly, acknowledging their feelings. And as you say, making sure that they know that they're safe with you and with their friends is important. Another dynamic, and it, it's really kind of a critical dynamic with older kids in high school and certainly college, is as parents, we may overestimate the impact that we have. The older kids, high schoolers and college kids tend to get their inputs from their friends, from their peer group. So often it's helpful to check in with your kids, not only about how they're doing, but about how their friends are doing. Again, showing your role that it's probably good to know who your kids' friends are in high school and college, so that by checking in with your own kid about how their friends are doing, indirectly you're checking in with your own kid as well. If we've had these conversations and we're sort of moving forward, how can we tell if our child might be struggling with fear or anxiety, even if they that's not something they're necessarily articulating to us as parents or caregivers? What are some of the signs? Well, the first thing is create a forum so that your child feels comfortable telling you if they're feeling anxious or panicky. The other is don't feel shy asking. Uh, people have this errant belief that if they ask somebody a question, even if it's something like, are you suicidal, that they're going to give the person the idea to take their life, but nothing is further from the truth. You can check in with people. We could ask how we're feeling. And in fact, that's really critical because None of us want to feel alone at a time of tragedy. So I think feeling comfortable checking in with your kids is absolutely where it's at. I think one thing, too, to talk about is parents' mental health. We talk a lot about how helping our children, very important. But even when we're not in the midst of a crisis or there is a, an event happening in the now, it feels like there is underlying anxiety or fear. For a parent, and again, maybe I speak for myself here, but, you know, admittedly, I take my kids to school in the morning and I, I physically touch their arm and I say, I love you. And it, it is because, if I'm being totally honest with myself, because I am afraid if something were to happen to them at school. Coming up, but coming up with rituals like that, that reduce your anxiety are completely fine. The only thing is you don't want to scare your kids. You don't want to have that ritual become symbolic for them where they're looking at you and going, hey, mom, I'm going to be fine. I want you to be okay and not worrying about me through your day. It, it's very, it's, it is very casual. Just, you know, just, hey, I love you, bud. You know, that kind of thing and, and just pat his arm or, or whatever it is. But I don't think I'm al alone in that. And maybe that's what you've referred to as catastrophizing, you know, you're kind of going to the worst possible case scenario, but, you know, it just, it feels like because we hear about school shootings, unfortunately, regularly, shootings in places that are supposed to be safe, it doesn't have to be a school, that, that there's just this underlying fear and anxiety. So as for parents, how do we check in with ourselves? and make sure we're taking care of our mental health? What are some of the things that we can do? 
This is a great question. And I'm really glad that you asked it because, you know, when you're on an airplane before the flight, they talk about if the oxygen mask comes down, put your, your mask on first so that you could help others. Really, that's what you're asking. And that is how to uh, us parents who have to help our kids take care of ourselves. And the first thing is we have to get control of our own anxiety. We live in anxious times. We live in times where we have to worry about our kids being shot in school. We have to worry about our kids getting involved with drugs and overdosing on fentanyl. These are the trends that everybody is facing. This is new for parents. This is not something that I, when I raised my kids, which was not long ago, had to contend with. It's very important that parents take care of their own needs. You'll know if you feel anxious or panicky. Anxiety and panic have two basic sets of symptoms, if you will. One is emotional, where you're feeling nervous, anxious, panicky, kind of like you're waiting for something bad to happen. And the other are physical symptoms. Maybe your heart is racing, you're short of breath, you're sweaty or shaky. If you're having those symptoms, that's anxiety. And we live in real anxiety-filled times. It's not normal to have to worry about a child being killed in school or overdosing on drugs laced with fentanyl. So as parents, the most important thing that we need to do is to acknowledge that those fears are real, they're justified, and we have to connect with other parents and come up with collective strategies to protect our kids. By coming up with strategies to protect our kids, it helps lessen our anxiety because it turns out that the more we think through problems, that actually lessens our anxiety. Too much anxiety makes it hard to think and problem solve. So really the needle that we're needing to thread is the needle of coming up with a plan that's safe, communicative, appropriate with, with our kids. But to do that, us adults have to feel safe. And there's safety in numbers. We have friends, we have other parents, connect with them because probably most likely, almost definitely, they're feeling what you're feeling too. Yeah, just sh sharing your feelings so that you're not alone. It's a you know basic sense of community. I think journaling can help too. I know we have talked about that before. Journaling is very helpful. It allows you an opportunity to get your fears out. And as we get our fears out, it allows us to be more logical and more focused. And when we realize that we live in a very safe world relative to times in the past. I find that fact to be very, very humbling and safety inducing and relaxing. I mean, if you think about 1910, the average lifespan in our country was 47 years old. Wow. Now it's 78 years old. That's a lot to celebrate. The risk of dying and childbirth has actually gone way down. And it's important that we remind ourselves of these truths, because if we forget these truths, we're going to be stuck with unnecessary anxiety and fear. And the thing about fear and anxiety is if it prevents us from doing the things that we need to do, it's really destructive to us as a society. We need to get back to going to school, going to work, being able to safely get a cup of coffee at Starbucks or whatever your items are at Target or other places that have closed up. And we have to remind each other that we're in it together and that we are safe. If there is one takeaway from our conversation today that 
that parents can do for themselves or for their children, what would that be? In the immediate aftermath of a catastrophe, don't go too far. Don't try to do a critical incident debriefing. The most important thing is to realize that the first step is to reestablish a sense of psychological safety, hug each other, speak with each other, and really reinforce the reality that as a community, despite these tragic events, we are safe. Let's take some deep breaths and get our emotions under control. Great advice. Dr. Varkin, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, we will have uh, this conversation as well as a host of resources for you on WGME.com slash Raising Me. My pleasure. Thanks, Adrian. There are a few things that really stuck out to me today. First is, regardless of age, staying calm in difficult conversations is really the most important thing that we can do. Kids are like energy sponges. They can tell if we're feeling anxious or fearful. Calmness is going to help create that safe space for them, especially if there's something they want to share. So before you dive into tough conversations, take some deep breaths, go outside for a minute. It, it could look different for everyone. Secondly, the importance of taking action to help reduce anxiety in situations where we feel there's a lack of control. Dr. Barkin said this, and, and I loved this, hope is not a plan. Yeah. That's applicable to so many things. But is there a family emergency plan that maybe you can work on together? Or is there something you can do to help people? In the case of, of Maine, is it writing cards to victims or others in the community? Maybe there's a way to donate time or money. Just finding a small way to take some control back. Finally, are we taking care of ourselves? Think about that old adage of putting your own oxygen mask on first check in with you. Call an old friend, journal, take a quiet walk, do whatever it is to help you recenter in order to be your best self for you and your family. Thank you so much for being part of Raising Me. I'm Adrienne Stein. This episode is edited by Megan Littlefield. Please follow Raising Me wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, a positive rating and review helps others find this message as well. Wherever you are, I hope you learn something new and get to take a little time for you.